Welcome. To Arcade Audio. We're back with some more shared history. Like a good neighbor, history is there. Not sure it's always a neighbor you want to come around. <laughs> Probably not. It's especially, a neighbor. Especially with today's stories. At least <laughs> the one I'm bringing in. Yeah. Uh, Cass texted me earlier today and said, uh, please tell me that your story is a light and happy one. Uh, Because mine's dark. And I texted back, mine's bloody. (laughs) I feel like Natalie doing like a blood, it's probably going to be war or something. And you always tend to make those fun. Yeah, it'll be super bloody. Um, Lots of people will die, but like we'll somehow make it about Andrew Lloyd Webber. So everything will be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Or like a bloody, bloody Andrew Jackson. Yeah, it'll be great. Which you start in. I starred is a strong word. I have made a career out of being the least singing role in musicals. So I was a storyteller. But so uh, on that note, uh, Cass is going to is going to take us down the history hole first. I regretted that the second. It left. <laughs> Let's. <laughs> oh, I forgot to introduce Dean. No, you, no, you no. History holes are fine enough. If y'all heard that adorable giggle, that is the one, the only DJ Rip. Uh. <laughs> history hole. I was born in a history hole. That's, <laughs> Natalie's losing it. That sounds like, um, I don't know, whatever the next Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure movie is going to be. Oh, for sure. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Great Chase Through Time. Great trace through history holes. With Carmen Sandiego. Yes. You know what? I'm really disappointed that I I'm, that I still haven't found... I mean, I found my old discs, but I don't have disc drives, so... Yeah. Um, my tell topic... Us some, tell us some dark, sad, depressing history. Y'all, it's gonna get... I, I didn't really... It was a little too heavy to do this topic, but I heard about this recently and was like shocked, mortified, intrigued. I had never heard of this before. Um, and Natalie, it is has to do with World War II. And so I was like, I wonder if she's heard about this. It's my second favorite World War. Right. <laughs> What's your first? Uh, the third one. The it third one that's about yet, but I've got World War Z. Yeah. yeah. World War C. That was the right answer. Yep. Um, well, I'm going to tell you about the Velodrome de Ver. Do you know what that is? Uh, ooh. Ooh? Let me give you a little bit more information. I mean, I can translate it. <laughs> On the 16th and 17th of July in 1942, 13,152 Jews were arrested and thrown in the uh, Velodrome de Ver, which was an indoor bicycle track. Yeah, because I was like, de Ver means of winter, so... Yes. Of the 13,000... Yes, of the 13,000 arrested, 
They don't have an exact number because it wasn't documented well. 7,500 were thrown in the, the velodrome. It's nicknamed the, the Veldive, and it's called the Veldive Roundup. Here's the kicker. So they were, 13,000 Jews were, were rounded up and then put in the velodrome. Some of them were sent to a camp, and then, the, and then they all were sent to Auschwitz. They were rounded up and arrested by the French. What? Yes. So the, Vel, the Veldive, it's right next to the Eiffel Tower, or it, it was. I'm not sure if it's still standing. I think it is. But bicycle racing, they, they were called six days, and it was like six-day bicycle racings with teams. It got really big, and this was built around Paris World's Fair. And it was just this big uh, attraction that people loved going to. When World War II broke out, no more bicycle races, but Paris or France was occupied by the Germans. And there's this occupation map where you see where it's kind of this kind of, I don't know, the, the lower, the southwestern corner of France. And then it kind of bell curves up to the northeast everything above that basically all of northern france was occupied by the germans and then the the lower right hand corner was the free state the unoccupied zone um so paris was in occupied germany Mm -hmm. and this velodrome anyone who wanted it could rent it out now it's a huge stadium so it's not just like i'm gonna rent it out for a birthday party but if this, you wanted to rent it out for a giant Nazi birthday party, you probably would have the budget. Which is essentially what they did. So they were like, we want uh, the velodrome. And basically they were like, Germany said to the free state, which was Vichy, is kind of where the free state was headquartered. So this is unoccupied mm-hmm. France. And they're like, we want you to round up all these Jews. We want you to throw them in the velodrome, and then we're going to transport them to Auschwitz. Okay, but wait, wait, hold on. The velodrome is, is in, in Paris. Paris. Yes. So the velodrome is in occupied France. Well, well, so I think there was maybe a free, an, an unoccupied portion of, of Paris Either way, what the the controversy was is that it was in occupied Germany and French police still kind of willingly did this. Yeah. So in in my mind, when I'm first hearing about this, I'm like, oh, they forced the French to do it and whatnot. That wasn't really the case. Whoever was running France at the time, who was running this this free state, Mm -hmm. was they said it was de jour. Um, so it was kind of this idea. It was the de facto, there's de facto, which means it's actually what it is. And then de jure means like the idea of it. So it wasn't technically a free state. They were kind of just hanging on by a thread and they were kind of just doing stuff for the Germans to keep this idea of peace. And so there weren't like civil, you know, uprisings and whatnot. So... The, whoever was running France at the time, he, what's his name? I need to find him. I'm, I'm not explaining this very well. the, the word for it because yeah. I was like, that just means like of it's, today. That's yeah, it's not. 
not like a soup du jour. I'm probably pronouncing it incorrectly, but it's like de jour, du jour, something like that. I mean, but, if you can spell it for me, I can. Uh... Let me see if I. No, it's on. It's on a different. Idea in French is is idea. Yeah. So maybe I I know I didn't make it up, but it was very much implying that like the people running free France or you know the mm-hmm. republic that was still unoccupied were really just trying to keep this idea of guys we know what we're doing it's okay don't freak out everybody just be cool and then the germans were kind of like hey go do this stuff for us marshal philippe pétain is yes. in charge of unoccupied france yeah so he was he was uh i can't remember he, he was kind of a low racist and uh oh so the independence however fictional had to be preserved German interference in internal policing would further erode that sovereignty, which Vichy was so committed to preserving. Okay. So, yeah. So, and it says here, this could only be avoided by reassuring Germany that the French would carry out necessary measures. Basically, what they did was the plan was to arrest all foreign-born Jews. Oh, because Um, that's okay. Right. That was kind of their way of being like, well, we're not... We're not deporting or deporting. Uh, We're not rounding up French people. Also, there was this um, this blurb that they stripped some French Jews of their citizenship. So they were just thrown out French people. But the the decision was to arrest Jews, communists and Gaullists. And Gaullists were followers of Charles de de Gaulle. um, And they were kind of revolutionary people. The decision to do that was, quote, an autonomous policy with its own indigenous roots. So basically, this was not forced on Vichy by the Germans. There was a lot of anti-Semitism going on in France at the time. And so a lot of people were kind of, they were okay with this decision. They were maybe a little happy about this decision because of this rampant anti-Semitism and just racism going on in the country. So there's this, there's this guy, Jacques Dorio. He led France's largest. Love his cookies. His cookies are great. Dorio. Yeah. Dorito. Uh, He ran France's largest fascist party, the Parti Populaire Francais, which is just really frustrating because all it, all it made me think of was the opera populaire because from of course. Phantom of the Opera. Of course. Look, see, we, got- we didn't even have to get to my story. To <laughs> There's a song about World War II that just brings out the Phantom of the Opera. If it's, if it's any sort of period piece set in World War, set in Paris, um, we're going to bring the Phantom in there. Well, um, we don't bring him. He just shows up. <laughs> He's, he's just always there. there. Like the Phantom. Yeah. Um, he's the Phantom of my opera in my heart. Anyway. He's the Phantom of my history hole. <laughs> anyway, this guy, Jacques Doriot, he was super racist. He was like, they said like he had his own like Hitler salute, which just looks like a lazy Hitler salute. It's like, <laughs> it's like kind of like his arms just cockeyed at a, at a right degree, like a right angle, and his his hand isn't forced out. It looks like he's kind of just doing a, a lackluster wave. Oh, Very I much stole it from was, Hitler. I was hoping it was just going to be like a foppish, 
uh, Hitler salute. Because if you say lazy to me, I think it's just, I think of a Hitler salute with a limp wrist. Yes. Because that feels lazy. Yes. Like a limp limp elbow and a limp wrist. Yeah. So it wasn't lazy. It was more of like poor rebranding. It's like, well, I want to have a fun salute. Well, let's just, I don't know, make it a little cockeyed. It was like a really bad, like, like you, it's like bad spark notes plagiarism. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Um, <laughs> it's 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 you copied something from Sparknotes and then used thesaurus.com a whole lot and then turned it in and we were surprised that your teacher saw right through it. Yeah. I'm not uh, speaking from personal experience because I wrote all my shit, <laughs> whether I read the books or not. <laughs> I'm going to make it work. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says this about Doriot. When France went to war with Germany in 1939, he became a staunch pro-German and supported Germany's occupation of northern France in 1940. He was he was in uh, Vichy, France, and and he <laughs> it says, but eventually found that it was not nearly as fascist as he hoped it would be. <laughs> so he moved to occupied Paris. That's that's the kind of review I like to see on uh, TripAdvisor. Yeah. <laughs> Not like, quite fascist enough. If you are looking for some fascism on your vacation, look elsewhere. Nobody yes. even liked my cool salute. <laughs> One out of five stars. So... <laughs> So back when I said, like, the, the Valdiv was available to, like, rent out, this guy, Jacques Dorio, he rented it out and had this, not a part, like, a, a he wanted to give a speech there with a bunch of people, whatever. A rally? A rally. There we go. I was I like, you. it's not a party. Um, I'm you. looking at party popular, so. But he... Uh, so he was, had to, he paid for this. Like, this isn't just, like... Yeah, he, like, rented out... I, when I thought that when I thought when this story was going to go the horrible way that I assumed it was going to go, it's going to get other there. horrible way. Yeah, well, I mean it's horrible no matter what. But I assumed that it was going to be, yeah, okay. The Germans did this thing because they had access to this thing, and yeah, they could just take it because yeah, it was in their territory. Well, but this is like this man rented. He paid. For this space. Well, no, no, no. So this wasn't for the uh, the roundup, which is what they called it. Uh, this was when he was like, yo, Vichy isn't fascist enough. I'm going back to occupied Paris and I'm going to kind of start up this fascist party. I'm going to like join people to my cause. And he had this big rally and he got a lot of like young people to like get on his team and be like, oh, yeah, let's be fascist and shit. So it was it was the French police who rounded up the Jews. And actually in one personal account of a woman who was 14 at the time, she says out on the street, there was no German officers. And she goes, I think they were given orders to not go outside so that people would see it was the French doing this and not the Germans. Because I think part of it was like they don't, they they don't want an an uprising or an uproar. They want to see that this is somehow like a French decision, and there's already rampant anti-Semitism and racism. So like, 
oh, we're not mad at the Germans. This is our guys doing it. Oh, I don't know. Wait, like the Germans were ordered to stay in by the Germans or by the French? No, to stay inside, like not yeah. be seen. So this but was like, literally all the French doing it. They rounded them up. They were holding them at the at the velodrome. But do they do they did the did it sound like because you said it sounded like they had been like ordered to stay inside. Did it sound like the Germans had been ordered to stay inside by the French? No, 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 by the Germans. Oh, yeah, because the Germans are like, this is great PR for us. Exactly, yeah. And this was, this was like the Germans' like idea. They like pitched it to the French and they're like, but this is your, is your deal, whatnot. Yeah. So it's one of those of like, it wasn't just the French being like, oh, let's go do this. The Germans were like, we want you to do this. The French were like, dope work it was like cool it was like this. your boss being like i know you didn't come up with this idea but i really think that you can take this and really like bring it run to with it and run with it yeah really just um, make this your own <laughs> get creative but so so this uh this guy jacques dario who rented out and had this rally it says oh and so this was called um the veldive roundup velodrome diver roundup or in french it was la rafle Ruffler means roundup. So among those who helped, 3,400 were young members of Dariot's Party Populaire. 3,400 people that went to this rally that were excited by his ideas were the ones that were rounding up the Jews um, or involved in it. Yeah. Um, so basically what happened is... Uh, they they made the arrests on the 16th and 17th of July, 13,152 people. Of those 13,000, there's not an exact number because, again, there was not a single picture taken of this event. There's yeah. no pictures of the insides with people in. Uh, so it's estimated that about 7,500 were in the velodrome. I was trying to find a max capacity yeah. um, for the, the Valdive, and I, I couldn't find one, but they said well, they and were... also, even if you could, like, I don't think that, um, it, that when performing genocides, people care much about what the fire marshal says. Right, but if you have an idea, to give you, you an, an idea, idea of the size, we, yeah. if you, so if then you, it's like, oh, we were so much over. Yeah. Um, so basically, it's an indoor bicycle track, so it's... The track is long and it's narrow and there's there's kind of a little strip in the middle where people can hang out, but no one really goes there. And then there's just stands all the way around. They were held there for five days. There were 10 bathrooms in the entire facility. Five of them were sealed because there were windows where they could get out. So they only had five bathrooms for over seven for 7,000 people. And then in the in the personal account, she's like, they got clogged right away. They were useless. And she's this 14-year-old girl. She's like, I saw adults going to the bathroom everywhere. She said it was really eerie. So it had a, a glass dome, which I'm sure is lovely for a bicycle race. But uh, with bombers and everything, they wanted to cover the glass to make it difficult to see, not something that they would want to bomb. So they painted it blue. So this 89-year-old woman is like, I still have, let me see if I can find the quote. Uh, it's called Sarah Lichtstein Montard 
had the same nightmare for a long time. At night, I saw the little green ghosts of the Veldiv with this kind of blue painted glass. It gave this eerie kind of green glow on everyone. And she said there were children kind of running around the track. And then the parents were all just sitting in the stands kind of silent. Um, It was so overcrowded. It's like several levels. People were trying to kill themselves. People threw themselves off the little railings and whatnot. There were a lot of like suicides and attempted suicides because it was just miserable conditions. So 7,500 people were in the velodrome. The rest were sent to Drancy, which is a suburb in the northeastern, just outside of Paris, northeastern suburb. And they were sent there in this like abandoned apartment complex and apartment towers And they were there for uh, five or 10 days until they moved everyone from the velodrome to Drancy and then put them on rail cars straight to Auschwitz. And essentially, it was the French rounding them up and throwing them on trains to send them to a concentration camp. It, oh my gosh, I heard about this because there's this movie called Sarah's Key. Have you heard of it? Uh Probably not because it's all about this. It was, so it's got, uh, it looks really good. I didn't watch it because I was like, I don't want to watch it. I want to research this first and whatnot. Yeah. Kristen Scott Thomas is in it, who oh, okay. I love. She's in The English Patient, another great World War One movie. World War One. Yeah. World War. Yeah. And so there, the the trailers playing, and it's like a flashback scene, and then like text, and then a flash forward, and she's kind of describing, you know, like 13,000 people got arrested. They were thrown in the velodrome and not a single picture exists. And then her little like partner she's working with uh, was like, how is that possible? The Germans were known for overly documenting everything. And then she pauses and she goes, this wasn't the Germans. This was the French. And my jaw dropped as hard as the actor across from her. Like they were trying to, you know, build the tension. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And as soon as she said that, I gasped. I was like, are, are you kidding me? And I was like, is this real? And then I looked it up and it it's it's horrifying. What's the movie called? Uh, the movie's called Sarah's Key. Okay. It looks amazing. I was I looked into it further and uh, the the story itself and they're like, you know, references in modern day, Sarah's Key. And then there's a movie called La Rafle, uh, which mm-hmm. came out in 2010. It's with Melanie Laurent, who was in Inglorious Bastards. Jean Renault, who was in Leon the Professional uh, with Natalie Portman, where he plays the uh, assassin. And uh, Gad Elmaleh, who he was in Midnight in Paris. He's a big yeah, French yeah. actor. And, and so this one, the roundup is about... Uh, like kind of a specific family and and their journey through all of this and whatnot. It looks very good as well. Woof. This was just, I almost didn't want to do this topic because I was just like, another reason why I didn't want to watch Sarah's Key is I was like, I have had a rough day and I (laughs) don't think I can emotionally handle this. And it was very uh, confusing for me. I was conflicted. I was like, I want to watch that so bad. And I was like, there's no way in hell I'm watching that tonight. I have that problem all the time. Uh, Like, I love watching, like, biopics and whatnot. And most of the time, if there's a movie I really wanted to see or if I, like, saw 
if I had seen like a trailer for this, I would then be like, oh, I want to watch that. Oh, I want to watch that. But there's so often that I'm like, but I want to sit and relax and watch a movie. But yeah. Most of my like, it's not your Netflix queue anymore. It's it's your list because yes. we're, we're not as fancy anymore. <laughs> um, but like most of my list is like real heavy shit. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's and like, I'm going to throw it on the list because I'm not ready now. Yeah, but then but then when I go, oh, I should check my list before I choose what to watch. It's all like, like the Danish girl, uh, oh, God, the theory yeah. of everything, uh, like like just all these heavy biopics. So there's there's another thing about this uh, a big um, controversy on top of the already horrible um, whatever. Uh, they were like, we're not going to round up children younger than 16 as a humanitarian but now you have a bunch of basically orphans well so yeah so then they were going to send them to it was basically like a like a um a jewish they said foundation type thing which was basically just if you were jewish you had to register and they were like we're here to help you and you know make sure that you're being taken care of legally or whatever they're like we'll just send all the children there and they can deal with them, which it made oh, it good. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it was kind of set up by the Nazis or like the Nazis were like, you should set this up. Um, very shady. Um, so they're like, we're not going to take kids um, 16 or younger. Of course they did. The youngest child that was sent to Auschwitz from this whole mass arrest was 18 months. Oh no! So they 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 were snatching babies and they were um, throwing them in camps and whatnot. Most families were split up by the time they got to the velodrome and they were never reunited. Let's see what else have I got here. Um, the the Veldiv was also used as a prison um, roundup in the summer of 1941, which I didn't look into that. I I'm assuming I, I probably should have looked into that. I don't think that was by the French. But it was like, oh, we got this big, expansive area. Yeah. Let's throw people in there. What, um, um, what year was this in again? Uh, this was in 42. Okay. Yeah. And they basically, they sealed. All, oh, God, this was awful. They sealed all of the windows, all of the doors, everything. It had this glass top and it was over capacity in the middle of July. So they said by doing that the temperature rose so much. Yeah. So it was ungodly hot. Yeah, um, it's basically a greenhouse. Yeah. They're getting, uh, they've got five toilets. They basically have zero. Those five clogged right away. Um, there's only one water tap. And the only food that they got were from the Red Cross and some missionaries that came in. And they were only allowed to have 60 of those people in there ever. Um, some doctors and nurses um, to to treat or help or feed 7,500 people. Like that's that's yeah. what the, the French film The Roundup is about. You see this like this nurse and this doctor who go in and are like trying to help out. And then this family's kind of journey through all of the different velodrome and the camp at Drancy and then the concentration camp at Auschwitz. It w- It's just, I had never heard of this. Yeah. And I mean, they... They tried to, I mean, clearly French government wasn't super proud of themselves. In 1995, Jacques Chirac apologized um, 
for the role the French police played and civil servants in it. Um, and in 2017, Emmanuel Macron uh, specifically admitted the responsibility of the French state in the roundup and hence in the Holocaust. Like he doubled down even more yeah. and he was like, this was our fault and we contributed to the Holocaust because of what we did. It wasn't just like a blip and a mess up, like they contributed. This um, firsthand account that I have from, uh, it's France 24, I think it's a news article or a news website. Um, the woman mentions uh, Marine Le Pen, who was running for to be president of France against Macron uh, yeah. back in, what was it? Uh, was it 2016? 2015? Uh, yeah, it was. It was around our yeah, election it like, time. It was around and, ours. Yeah, and all I remember is hearing like Marine Le Pen was this basically, you know, very heavy on nationalism. And mm-hmm. in while she was running, she completely denied the French state's repons- responsibility. Um, and this woman was like, it made me very angry. She says, it scared me to hear such things. It was a French state. Jacques Chirac admitted it in 1995. He had the courage to say it because it was true. And all this nationalism that has been cropping up everywhere in the world in these past, mm-hmm. you know, like five, ten years or whatever, that must have been scary as hell to be a survivor of this in Paris and then seeing someone running for your country being like, nah, and like recycling yeah. all that history. Oh, it was eerie. I almost like just I almost had to like step away from researching all this. It was it was real heavy. This is exactly why history is not a good neighbor. Because they, it has a tendency to keep coming back around, whether you invited it or not. And usually, just kidding. We never usually the... invited it because we're not smart humans. Humans, yeah, it's are never the good dumb. stuff that repeats. No, it's always bad history and bad fashion trends. I mean, say what you want about fashion trends. So, yeah, Natalie, I... kick it over to you. Let's. <laughs> how are you going to spin this one? Well, so okay. In in the wake of you saying that your story was really heavy and being and like really dark and sad and being worried about that, I did do a quick panic research to have a second topic just in case. Are you do you need to throw in the panic topic now because mine was so dark? I don't know. It's it's bad because the first one, the original one I was planning on doing, I re- we I researched so long ago that I, like, remember it, but I don't remember how bad it is. We had to take um, a break from recording. So this well, is going to be one from from that, that recording yeah, session. Yeah, yeah. So we've taken a break from this one, yeah. Yeah. So I had it prepped for a past episode and then didn't use it. Um, so it's been a minute. So I want to toss it to you. Oh, Do you no. Want, this is a democracy. Um, <laughs> or is it a cheerocracy? I mean... By a round of applause. Um, No, please tell me if you would rather get bloody in the 1700s or if you want to talk about fashion. I 100% want to get bloody in the 1700s, but also I kind of want to do a rock, paper, scissors to decide. What do you think? I don't know. Let's just, you know, it, it also feels weird to do the other story. It's almost like too light to pair with yeah the let's get bloody so i'll get bust we'll just double down <laughs> we'll double down instead of instead of trying to trying to lighten the mood 
Um, Instead also, of trying to throw a masquerade on the darkness. Uh, well, speaking of singing, <laughs> you're going to like that I wrote this into the top of my notes. I'm glad I did, because otherwise I'd have forgotten this bit, and I'm pretty happy about it. This is a story all about how a girl's life got flipped, turned upside down, and I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how Ramavo became the queen of Madagascar. <laughs> this I think the, the first... scanch in there is off, but that's no, Natalie's... I think it's perfect. Fresh, Fresh Prince is Natalie's um, mic check song, Always. Yep. And I don't know, it'll probably, we'll probably air it before this one. Uh, but I've also already started a story this season with uh, Gilligan's Island themes. So. Natalie, if you keep this up, you're going to have to start every topic with a new theme song, which we're already doing with our opening tags. It's true. Well, sometimes it's it a lot of work. Fits. So I'm going to tell you how Ramavo became the queen of Madagascar. Well, some of the story, um, as we know it, because she was illiterate, so a lot of the accounts of her history and her reign were told by her enemies, uh, people who mistrusted her, some people who tried to kill her, um, or whose people were persecuted, so like, or exiled or slaughtered by her. Oh. So, not a lot of... Um, motivation to tell yeah not a lot of motivation to paint her in a great light from those particular storytellers uh but we're gonna do it anyway um just imagine imagine as i'm talking just a uh, a large asterisk or an allegedly next to everything i say (laughs) just imagine that and you'll be great because also we're going back to 1788 so sources in general can get a little sloppy good year Good year. Great year. Uh, (laughs) I give it a solid A minus. Madagascar, 1788. She was born Romavo. She was Marina, which was the dominant ethnic group on Madagascar, and her ancestry was most likely Indonesian. Uh, She was a commoner, but her father learned of a plot against the future Marina King whose name is very long, and so I'm going to need a moment. <laughs> the future Marina King's name was Andriana... No, wait, crap. Andriana... Andriana Poina Marina. Andriana Poina Marina. Okay, I had practiced this when I thought I was going to tell the story before. Nailed it. Um, and so her father told the king about the plot, and the plot was foiled. And as a thank you for saving his life... Andrianum Poina Marina adopted Romavo as his own daughter and arranged for her to marry his son, Rodama. Hey, thanks for telling me about someone's going to kill me. I'm going to take your daughter in order to thank yeah. you. <laughs> like, oh my God, thank you. That was so nice. Give me your child. <laughs> You're welcome. Rodama became King Rodama I, and Romavo became the first of his 12 wives. Uh, you know, the power position. Oh, yeah. Um, but it was like the first wife was the one that like had the most power and it was her child who would become the heir to the throne if she produced one. Um, however, Ramavo was not Radama's preferred wife. And so uh, she did not bear him any children. 
because basically like he, he she wasn't his favorite so I don't he's like i don't want to sleep with you yeah they weren't boinking uh he probably wasn't her favorite human anyway because he may or may not have uh he okay he executed a lot of her family and relatives when he became the king because to kind of it was like a tradition like they'd basically cull any potential threat to their claim to the throne and so some of her relatives i guess could have been like in contention or could have like staged a coup or something and so uh kind of like oh you stole my daughter to go be a queen i'm gonna kill you now yeah, you know, maybe. Yeah. Maybe something that like that. That was a possibility. So let's just let's just kill your family so you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, so when he became king, he murdered a bunch of her relatives. And uh, and so instead of hanging out with him and bearing him a child, Ravavo spent her days socializing and drinking rum with a Welsh Christian missionary and translator named David Griffiths and all of his missionary friends. Griffith is, like, ha- among other things, has, like, kind of a historical claim in that region for being, like, the first to translate the Bible into the uh, Malagasy language. Um, Do you know who I wouldn't expect to be hanging out with and drinking rum and chilling? Missionaries. You know? There's, what else are you going to do? You're hanging out in Madagascar. Sometimes you just got to... Let loose with some friends. Toss back a rum or two. Yeah. Translate a Bible. Hang out with a queen. Get fucked up. (laughs) Get fucked up on rum. Um, And it's probably for the best that their marriage was loveless because Radama died July 27th, 1828 of syphilis. Hmm. Or maybe cirrhosis of the liver. Or... Maybe suicide because he was suffering so terribly from syphilis or cirrhosis. <laughs> this is it was a one and or all kind of situation. Yeah, it could be a little is bit. Is this of another both. another asterisk? This literally all of this has an asterisk next to it, just because <laughs> like the the uh, narrators aren't all the most trustworthy. Because Radama and Romavo had no children, their rightful heir was the eldest son of Radama's king's eldest sister. His name was uh, Rakatobi. However, so many howevers, technically, according to uh, Malagasy, I'm probably saying that wrong, Malagasy? M-A-L-A-G-A-S-Y? Malagasy? No, I got nothing. Because of their beliefs... Any child, Rana Valona or Ramavo, they call her both throughout this, so it gets confusing. Any child she might bear, even after the king, her husband's death, would be considered the king's offspring and thus become an heir to the throne and therefore oh, become a threat to the ruling monarch. Wait, so, so the dead king's sister's son... Yes, so the dead king's nephew. Dead king's nephew, anyone who he has a, if he has a kid, that's just the right. No, no, no. If, so, so if his queen, uh, the star of our tale. Oh. um, If she has a kid, even if it's not by 
the king now oh. that the king is dead that that kid could be is seen as a threat to the throne oh got it yeah because yeah, yeah. he could have a claim to it got it okay i'm there um, i'm with you yeah it's con- it's it's a little convoluted so it would make sense therefore for especially given their tradition of doing this anyway yeah um for rakatobi to have ramova or sorry ramavo uh killed to eliminate that potential threat so she cannot bear another child because she did I'm guessing that didn't happen. It didn't. Um, <laughs> friends, you're so smart. I'm uh, a smart. You're so smart. Friends and supporters of her in the military hid her away to keep her Ooh. safe. And meanwhile, they made a bunch of other moves to try and secure her claim to the throne. Oh, so they was throwing a coup. Yeah, they was they was cooing. Coo-coo! Which is why this... Tri- I mean, like, the... Tri- the super fun tradition of murdering anybody who could potentially stage a coup, I guess, has its merits since then there was a coup. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you didn't try to stop them from cooing so much, maybe they wouldn't coo so hard. Yeah. It's like you gave them the idea. <laughs> you put it. You incepted it. Yeah. I guess I guess the now dead king uh, had been like super open to Western influence, uh, which is why there were Christian missionaries hanging around. Um, he let them like set up schools, however, Party, she, drink rum, right? However, though she partied and drank rum with them, she had allied herself with the religious figures of the traditional uh, Marian belief system, not the Christians, not the Ooh. Western influencers. So she was able to secure the support of a lot of influential people and like power brokers, if you will, uh, including like the judges, the keepers of the royal idols. And then on August 11th, 1828, which I'm kind of disappointed I didn't do the math to tell you how close that was to a negative birthday of mine. But she's a Leo. But I'm a Leo. (laughs) I'm a Leo, baby. So August 11th, 1828, she declared herself the successor to Radama, her now dead husband, on the pretense that he himself had decreed it. Twas a coup. Twas a coup. Uh, so she was just, she was just telling people that to like gain more yeah. support. Well, she knew she had the support of like these influential people. So yeah. then. But they, I mean, like they, he clearly didn't decree it. She's just like, oh no, guys, I swear. I swear he said it. Yeah. Like we were, we were like playing footsie one night and he was like. Like we did all the time because I wouldn't sleep with him because he had yep. syphilis. And because he murdered my whole family. <laughs> uh, but also the syphilis, man. Uh, man yeah, she just you. was like, she just was like, no, 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 believe me. He told me that I'm, I'm the successor. He told me, he was like, oh, <clears throat> I'm dying. You're the successor. And because she had enough power brokers on her side who wanted to see her take over versus potentially somebody who would allow all of this like Western influence. They were like, why was everyone um, so down with Ramova? Because because she had allied herself with like tradition, like it's, she had I was gonna... drank, she had like hung out and drank rum with the missionaries, but she had like been. But I mean, also... it was like they were like, "Nah, this will be our girl." Like, yeah, I, I mean, not like everybody, but like, well, I'm yeah, like... I just I usually usually don't think of. I guess, yeah, the queen, she's high ranking, but I guess in my Western influence, I'm thinking of 
women not given that high of regard, but also are people supportive of her? Are they trying to use her as a pawn? I think they're, I think it's a little bit of both. I think they're supportive of her because she seems to already like be on their team of things. And I think that she may have like allied herself with that team because she knew like that she was also using them as a pawn. Right. I think it may have gone both ways. I think, yeah, like that's smart. And it's interesting to like, um, ally with, with the tradition, especially with Western influence creeping in everywhere. Yeah. Um, that's, and getting getting cozy with the Westerners, yeah. with the missionaries. It's like, I'm cool with everyone, but guys, don't worry. I'm all about uh, Marina and our people and what. I'm friendly with the visiting team, but I'm cheering for and rigging the game for the home team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I get it. I'm on Ramova's side. Yeah. So she she underwent a secret ascension ceremony in which her body was anointed with the blood of a freshly killed bull. Like you do, took the throne name Rana Valona, uh, which meant folded or kept aside. So basically, like she took the throne name of side piece. I was gonna say it was like it's like taking back, taking back the word. Yeah, uh, and then she followed, and then she followed again because he gotta the royal custom of systematically capturing and putting to death all of her political rivals, including her nephew, Rakatobi, his family, and all of the other members of her dead husband's family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm seeing why she doesn't have a lot of friends writing about her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, However, it was taboo to shed royal female blood, so she spared uh, her sister-in-law, but killed everybody else. Okay. Um... So that's why I said I was like, there's like just a lot of blood, but it's like your classic, you know, early 1800s. Yeah, war coups. Lots of bloodshed. Um, she became the first female sovereign of the kingdom of Imerina since its founding, which to your point, you said the thing of like our West, like our Western brains are like, they're letting a lady be in charge. <laughs> Marina culture actually had a really strong matrilineal element, but it was overlaid by male dominant gender roles. So men were particularly favored in the political sphere, but like women were have very respected. They just were gender roles, yeah, household roles. Why? What why was the what? Oh, what was a topic I did where it was like men were running the government, but they had to get permission from the women. Oh, that was that was uh, was uh, um, Iroquois. Yes, the yeah, Iroquois. Yeah. yeah, where it's like it was. It was matrilineal, the word you just said, matrilineal. Matrilineal. And the, yeah, men were like the chiefs, but they had to get permission from this group of women to, yeah, okay, I'm down. I did. But like, because men were like power hungry and in all these positions of power, she actually played on that. And that's why she was able to consolidate her rule incredibly quickly. Like men are so dumb. According to the encyclopedia, I can't say words. Encyclopedia. According to the encyclopedia of world biography, quote, as the ranks of men who depended on the coup's success increased, her grip on power tightened. So basically like there were a bunch of dudes who, really needed this coup to be successful for their political agendas. And she just fed on that was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and just was able to like 
consolidate her power and get shit done. Out of um, girl. She was portrayed as a brutish tyrant at best. Hell yeah. And, and insane at worst. <laughs> uh, Which, what do you... What do you call women when they have a lot of power? Oh, she's insane. Yeah. A brutish, yep, just brutish or insane. She rapidly undid most of her husband's reforms, like, immediately. She terminated all of these trade agreements he had set up with the English and the French. Uh, she repelled an attack. Well, she was credited with repelling an attack by a French naval force, which then made people go like, ooh, look, she's protecting us. Mm -hmm. um, but really, malaria kind of did all the heavy lifting on that one. It was just really good timing. Yeah. Um, like this French naval force was coming in and then everybody got sick and they had to turn around. <laughs> yep, that was me. I did that. That was me. It's like, yep, thanks. Wait, oh, so it. Way to spin, too. Yeah. Just spin doctor right there. She used this is another fun word that i'm gonna have a hard time with phantom phantom poana which was forced labor in lieu of tax payments and money or goods oh so i was like oh you can't pay your taxes here you go into labor oh um, no uh and she Remova. but she did it to i mean this is i'm not trying to spin this but like she did it to keep madagascar more self-reliant yeah um which she also partially had to do because, you know, she terminated trade agreements. Um, she restored the practice of Tangina, which was a traditional loyalty test. Oh, wait. Oh, I remember reading about this. Now. <laughs> it's been a minute since I've looked at these notes. Uh, Tangina was a traditional loyalty test in which anyone suspected of resistance was fed a poisonous nut. And it was a, this poisonous nut caused vomiting. And they were also fed three pieces of chicken skin and if they vomited all three pieces of chicken skin up then they were innocent but if any if they kept any of that chicken skin down they weren't uh, what yeah uh so just any anyone it was like it was just a loyalty test the, another popular technique of loyalty test was torture by progressive amputation um, so, like, you were lucky if you were eating a poisonous nut. Whoa, hold on. How do you loyally, how do you test someone's loyalty by cutting their limbs off? I They're like, yep, like, keep cutting. I'm down. Yeah, I yeah. love you. Keep cutting. I guess at that point, uh, loyalty test is the uh, lipstick that you would be putting on the pig that is very clearly just, like, assuming that everyone's against you and more of testing and being like. So insane. Are you a are you a spy? Are, are you, you a good witch agitator? or a bad witch? Are you a co-op? <laughs> <laughs> um, she had a she had a former lover speared in the throat when he was linked romantically to another woman. Um, uh, but he was also he was a high ranking military officer, and another account credits him not as a lover but as her chief advisor. Well, also um, you don't you don't date a coworker. Everyone right? knows that. Also, girl's name is literally side piece. Out of spite, don't make her a side piece, right? Like don't, that's on him. Her name is side piece. That doesn't mean that she's everybody's side piece. <laughs> but he was his. He he was. If he was her chief, this other source said that he was his her chief advisor, um, and not only that, but also the leader of like the more progressive faction in her court. Uh, and so when she killed him, basically the conservatives 
took a stronger hold because she no longer had a progressive-minded advisor. Yeah. Uh, she only had, like, the conservative advisors. Um, at first, she was wary with confrontation with the Christian missionaries. Um, but then she took a young Frenchman, Jean Laborde, in. Again, sources are, like, possibly as a lover. But they just assume if there's a man in her inner circle that they They fucking... So so Jean Laborde shipwrecked nearby and swam ashore, and he was, like, very, very smart with uh, metallurgy, munitions, and engineering. And so he supervised the manufacturing of guns and gunpowder for Ranavalona's army and helped her uh, te- help teach her people how to, like, make goods that they previously had depended on trade for. Um, so, like, soap, silk, ceramics. And since she was trying to keep Madagascar self-reliant... Teach a man to like, fish. Yeah, she was like, mm, you French, but, like, you cool. But you cool. <laughs> you cool. And then once she basically had, like, guns and didn't need uh, to rely on trade, like, at all, kind of, for some of these things, she was like, all right, cool. I have time. We could persecute some missionaries. <laughs> um, oh, no. Casual. So we, we could do this now. So, so yeah, so then she just, then it's just like blood, blood, blood. Uh, by the 1830s, the French had given up trying to even establish a foothold in Madagascar um, because partially because like that had become a, not as easy as they thought it was gonna. Yeah. Um, and then also because this is the 1830s, they're distracted with their own political upheaval at home because um, the French, you know. They're always revolutioning. Always revolutionizing. The, yep, they're always red, hearing the, the people sing. The blood of angry men. Uh, red, the blood of dead Christians and missionaries in Madagascar. <laughs> um, because that was, did you know that was the original lyric in Les Mis? But they're like, oh, that's a whole other subplot. Yeah. We don't have time. This is only three acts. Cut it. We can't keep going down these tangents. <laughs> uh, we're already making so many, so much political commentary. We don't have time to also journey to Madagascar. <laughs> we'll make a movie in 2005. Yeah. Madagascar, movie- the animated classic. Yeah. Did that come out in 2005? I don't know, but it's definitely part of the Les Mis universe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm calling that now. I think we can somehow shoehorn that in yeah we can make it work i believe in us madagascar Um, came out in 2005 damn i'm good you're that's the weirdest ability it's the most pointless party trick i can name almost any film release date within two years of its release but also i say that and then usually people throw movies at me and i get them wrong so i don't know how useful is it it's like the guy from um mystery men who's like i can become invisible but no one can look at me <laughs> do you remember that? that uh mystery men when did that come out god i think around 2001 look it up look it up look, I'll i'm keep just the i'm story. just i'm just keeping imdb up why not why the hell not um oh so yeah so basically uh when the 99 you're within two I'm years. Within two years. I mean, I you know I thought it was late '90s, early 2000s. I was like, no way, it's the '90s. But it's such anyway, a good movie. Of course, it's in the '90s. Back to the plot of Les Mis. Sorry, uh, Les Mis the, universe. The Les Mis universe. 
The extended lame is universe. Uh, <laughs> so the French are distracted in France. So the Christians become fair game uh, and also become the last vestige of European influence in Madagascar because they were teaching, uh, they had been teaching Christianity in the schools. Uh, then it had been restricted to just in mission schools. And then it had been outright banned um, teaching of Christianity at all. Missionaries began to leave the island or go underground. And in 1836, 14 Christians resisted orders to give up their religion and were killed. And this was the beginning of her reign, murdering Christians. Oh, it's just now starting. Yeah. Like before it was like mostly like family blood and like local blood. And now it's and now we go. But they're like invading. They're full blown religious persecution now. Yeah. Now we're just now we're just doing a lot of murders. Um, in 1845, she ordered a buffalo hunt and demanded that all of the nobles of her court participate, all of them, and that they must also all bring a full staff of servants and slaves to the party. Uh, so they're going on a buffalo hunt with a group of over 50,000 people. I was going to say, that's a lot of people. There isn't a road that can handle that group size size group of people so then she commands that a road be built as the group proceeded so it's like the group's like we're going on a buffalo hunt we're gonna catch a buffalo (laughs) meanwhile there's like indentured like 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 there's there's people who couldn't pay taxes up the road uh trying to build this road faster than they're walking down it that's like a party bus going into a bar and over you know every time a party bus goes like a small bar then they take over the bar and they're like build more bar yeah or it's like that was immediately my thought like oh it's a party and i was thinking of like a i think it's like a roadrunner and wiley coyote situation where he's like one of them's like laying down road or like bricks in front so that they have and then but they have to like take them from behind them. I don't know what I was thinking. I or was like definitely thinking of a cartoon. Drawing a, a tunnel. Drawing a tunnel and then running into the wall. God, I love Looney Tunes. Uh, I uh, <laughs> I set I set a rake down today and the the like the prongs were pointed up. You can't and do I that. was like I was like, look, it's a coyote trap. Cause Wiley would always step on it and hit I thought it was hilarious. It was probably the epitome of my dad joke prowess. Uh, that's a that's a bold claim to make because you're you're pretty good at the dad jokes. I'm not good at the dad jokes. I make a lot of them and they're not good ones. They don't make sense. Dad jokes are by definition not good. They're supposed to be so bad that they're good, and mine are just kind of like, nah. They just get lost out in the bad zone. Yeah. Anyway, well, I was proud of my. Coyote trap joke. I'm proud of you too. Thanks, Natalie. Continue your story (laughs) in Madagascar. Oh no, you're fine. I'm almost done. The I just love this story of this hunting party um, because it just was a mess. It was poorly planned and equipped. Uh, Not like a party I would throw because I'm Type A. But so the road workers are like trying to finish this road while the party's like moving down the road. But then the road workers are like falling ill and dying on the job. And I'm laughing because the visual of everything I've said up until this part, I, except for the dying, uh, is has amused me. 
But this is not to be smiled at because in total, 10,000 men, women, and children were said to have perished during the 16 weeks of this buffalo hunt. What? And there's, an, and there's no record of a single buffalo being shot. <laughs> no! Because it's kind of hard to sneak up on them when there's your, your party's 50,000 people. 60? Like six zero weeks? 16. Sorry. Oh, I was One like, six. I was like, my math brain is telling me that's more than a year. Yeah. No, no. 16. That's still As too in, long for a buffalo hunt with 50,000 people. Right? Uh, 50,000 people, not a single buffalo was shot. Oh, no. Uh, why she did, did she want to do this? I don't know. She just got it in her head that she was like, you know what? It's 1945. I'm going to go out and hunt some buffalo with all of my friends. This was in of, 1945? This is 1845. Oh. Yeah, we started. She was born at the at like the end of... Oh, I'm so bad at centuries. What? The 1700s are the... 16th century. 16th century? Okay. 16th century. You're right. Yeah. You go back. So we started our, we started, she was born at the end of, uh, near the end of the 16th century. It's Got over. it. I thought you said 1945 just now. And I was like, oh, World War II is going on. We got, and, and you're trying to have a buffalo hunt. Yep. We're having a buffalo hunt with, uh, 50, with 49,000 of our closest friends. Uh, <laughs> she, she does eventually, she doesn't kill a buffalo, but she does eventually bear a son. Not I mean, the they hunt. weren't killing buffalo. She had to do something. Yeah, she was like, I'm bored. His name was Ricotto. Some speculate that the Frenchman uh, that she took in, Laborde, was his father. Um, others speculate that her chief advisor who got the spear in the throat might have been his father. Mm. Uh, but he was considered a legitimate heir. Even though he participated in several plots against his mother's life, including one with Laborde, his alleged potential father, uh, none of which succeeded. Even though he tried to kill his mom so many times, he still, he still took over when she pe- died peacefully in 1861 at the age of 83. How? How? She did so much crazy shit and killed so many people and her son plotted against her. She how had did so she, many enemies. How did she die First of all, make it to 83. Second of all, peacefully. Yeah. yeah. Made it to 83 in the in the 1800s. She a bad uh, bitch. She a she a bad bitch, non-committal. <laughs> Cuz we don't know who who's the baby daddy here. Mm-mm. I just think that this is insane. And literally in my so I have a spreadsheet of like topics that I've like stumbled upon at different times. And I have a little section where I just have like notes. To remind myself, like, like who they were if they're yeah. not a name I recognize, and I think the one that, the note next ne- the note next to her name says like, Mad- like female Radag- Madagascar leader, lots of murder, <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't disappoint because under her rule, due to military campaigns. High death rates among workers and harsh traditions of justice. The population of Madagascar is estimated to have declined from about 5 million to 2.5 million between 1833 and 1839. So this is just in this is just in like like five, six years of her reign, uh, an earlier, like the beginning of her reign, the first like five or six years of her reign, halved. We have 
the population of Madagascar. Oh and my then, god! And then we go from about 750,000 to we also go, we overall sorry so this timeline starts then before that so that was 1833 to 1839 if you start if you look at um her more localized region like her immediate region of uh i'm marina it goes from 750,000 to 130,000 by 1842 so, so that's not all of madagascar that's more that's a smaller area right she controlled all of madagascar Yes, but, but was I don't from think, like, but it was centralized in this yeah. marina, marina. Yeah, she she was seen as or like called herself like the ruler of Madagascar. And if she like, says it, it's it's true. It's if true. she says it, it's because her dead husband whispered it into her ear. And uh, guys, I swear it's true. Trust her. You don't have any reason not to. She only halved the population of the region. And and her fucking royalty family halved them. Yeah. In uh, literal halves. In literal halves. So all of this obviously led to a strongly unfavorable view of her rule in historical accounts. But, but, but she is, here's that spin again. She is noted, she is also noted by historians still as one of the few African leaders who succeeded at keeping foreign powers at bay during a period when colonial expansion was putting much of Africa under European rule. Atta girl. So there's her spin is like, she, she kept the Europeans at bay. She also may have directly and indirectly led to the death of more than half the population of her territory. Right. Well, there's gives and there's takes. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Got to balance it out. <laughs> Pendulum swings. Um, so she she finally, she dies peacefully in 1861. Um, in 1896, Madagascar does eventually become a French colony. But today it's still like people love Madagascar and like love their culture because the Madagascar today is still like super rich in traditional arts and it's probably because they remained free of European influence for yeah. so much more of the 19th century than, like, anyone else be doing. Or seven, 17th century? I mean, it, it helps being on an island. Yeah. But still, like, she'd be, she be bloody. She'd be bloody. She, she, she a bloody, she a bad bloody bitch. <laughs> Not Another interesting fact. Those were also the original lyrics. Mm-hmm. She a bad bloody bitch. That sounds weird. <laughs> Noncommittal. Yeah, so that's why I was like, my story's not light, but it's not. Well, it's, well, and when you said bloody, I was like, I'm assuming it's going to be something like that. Like some, like, kind of crazy story of, like, oh, we just, I don't know. Not, yeah, again, not that that's funny or light, but I feel like it's a different But it's, there's also more distance from it yeah uh, yeah i want to look i gotta look up i have to tell you i have to try and read her super long name so the names are really confusing in this story because in it would be like her like her name was ramova and then she took rana valona after like as her throne name but then also there'd be a source that would say like 
oh yes, Rana Valona the first because we call her by her sovereign name. But then there are things that say that she was born Rabo Don. Wait, Rabo. Ra, damn it, Rabo Dondriana Point Marina. Pointy Marina. Rabo Dondriana Pointy Marina. There it is. Um, and I'm like that. That's what. Yeah, I'm trying to find. I love the names of this region because they're very clearly like family names that like things get like tacked yeah. on to the end. But I wish I, I can't find it now. But there's like a list of like nicknames, basically. But like she was the Mad Queen of Madagascar is like the her kind of qualifier go to tag. Yeah, like yeah. it's her like. Also, that's, that's her, kind of a dope name too, right? I'm I'm not gonna be mad about that. It has a nice ring to it. It's got that double uh, mad. Like, yeah, I'm a mad queen. It's Madagascar. <laughs> what do you expect? What do you expect from me? That's why I was like, I'm. it's not light, but I'm taking you to a very different time and place. A very different, yes. Also, yeah. I love any story of a female monarch who was actually running things, you know, yeah. Not just running things into the ground, maybe. Well, you know uh, what? She was still sitting on the throne and slitting throats and building roads. So, yep. At this, often at the same time. Yeah, yeah. quite multitasking. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. You hear about shitty kings all the time who run their kingdoms into the ground or whatever, and women contain multitudes and can do all things. Yeah. Yes. Give women a chance. To also run their kingdoms into the ground. Because the problem's not the system, right? It could never be the system. No. No. Monarchical no. rule is always a good idea. Oh, I'm not even just talking about monarchical rule. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yep. So That's really interesting. I No, I do. I love any story where it's like, all right, here's a woman. She's in charge of an army. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. They're I, always, they always end up being the best stories. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just was like, I want to go, I want to go to, I wanted to go like back to Africa and like find some, some gems, some, some dope gems. Also, yeah. like, I'm pretty sure that even probably through high school, I like barely knew where Madagascar was let alone ever studied a lick of history about it. Oh, I remember I knew where Madagascar was because I love I loved memorizing things. I loved our map quizzes where it's like, here's a blank map and you have to fill in all the countries of this region. And I was, was all about that in college. I would oh. just spend, waste hours on Sporkle. <laughs> oh my God, I love Sporkle. Well, because we did that in like, in middle school if we were studying... The- you know, geography, European buzz, his- geography bees. Oh my gosh. Yes. I would, I love, would just love like filling all those in and whatnot. So I was like, oh, Madagascar, that one's easy. It's the only island. I loved being um, the obnoxious, uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> uh, it wasn't even obnoxious. It was just, I had this weird thing where whenever we had to choose like a country or a state or something to like focus a study like a like an assignment on I would always try to choose kind of like the most off the beaten path one so I'd either go for obscurity or I would often go for like the smallest yeah like so I'd I did a lot of shit on like Rhode Island and Delaware (laughs) like they need more press um (laughs) 
uh, or like anytime we were doing something like Europe related, I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go for like, li- like I'm going to go for Luxembourg or Liechtenstein. Yes. Yeah. Well, Cause you I know just what? was proud of myself for knowing. Natalie, it set you up perfectly for this podcast. Cause that's what we do. We share little known history. Yeah. Or lesser and sometimes, known. Well, and sometimes that lesser known history, it's like lesser known or overlooked. And sometimes it's stuff that it's like, yes, in suburban, in like Midwest suburban high school in the United States. Sure, we didn't study Madagascar history. Or sometimes it's your story that it's like, how, how in the world in the fact that like I took French all through high school and half of college and like took so much European history and we oh like we study the bejesus out of World War Two. In America we study it so hard. I think yeah. because we like to pat ourselves on the back. Oh yeah. Oh we won um, this one. Let's talk about like, you it's like like uh like a, a high school football star. Oh, you remember this uh this one game that I won? Yeah, I caught the winning touchdown. 20 years it's ago. crazy let's keep talking about it I, like it's crazy because i also like i didn't we're not going to talk about the fact that i like could have could have started in the game or like joined the game really quickly but instead i like waited i looked out on the bench I, I chilled on the bench until i was feeling more like personally affected by yeah. the game yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> everyone got out and i was like fine i'll go in um, fine. <laughs> but then it's okay because i won the i scored the winning touchdown yeah so. it's like now i totally care now i totally care um, no, it's, uh, I, that's a, what I love, I was going to uh, say, that's just like what I love about this podcast is it's like, sometimes it's like, here's a deep cut. And then other times it's like, here's the thing, this thing that you 100% should know. And it yeah. doesn't make sense that we don't. Well, I, I'm going to watch Sarah's key. I highly recommend everyone watch it. If you don't honestly just watch the trailer, because I had no clue. I had no context what this movie was about. I had never heard of it before. I was like, oh, Kristen Scott Thomas. I got really excited because I love her as an actress. And the way they set it up, it was just so... She's like 13,000 Jews thrown in the velodrome, inhumane conditions, and we don't have a single picture. And the, the field study person with her was like, how is that possible? The Nazis were obsessive about documenting heartbeat this was the front like it was just so jarring just the way they spoke about it and of course they're not going to talk about it there's there's very little records and it i mean obviously they sold out their own people yeah um also i just want to correct something um it's dame Kristen scott thomas what yeah when did she get damed? Uh, I don't know. She a dame, though. I know she a dame. She's like I... one of the only other people who I ever remember are a dame. Oh, my gosh. I'm so... Oh, my goodness. I would like to issue, issue a formal apology to Dame Kristen and Scott Thomas. She definitely listens to this podcast. Oh, and the other dame that you remember, Natalie, is... Of course. Dame Judy Dent? Dame Judy Dent, yeah, always. I mean, that's the only other one you could I think mean, of. I could think of. Any Maggie of us Smith. Think of. Maggie Smith is a dame, too. Uh, is she? Uh, yeah. uh, oh, man, I used to know all of them. There's actually a... 
there's actually some like I don't know if it's a series or or just like an episode of something where they get all of the dames together and it's like Maggie Smith, Judy Dench. Not, You're talking about the one where it's the them having like tea. Yeah, and they're just talking shit about everyone, yeah. but it's so polite. Yeah, it's like, a movie. It's called Tea with the Dames. Yeah, the the woman who played um, Professor Sprout in Harry Potter uh, is oh crap. I um, is that I believe that we actually talked about this on the Balto episode. We oh we did yeah. Cause, I'm cause, sure we did because. <laughs> Because they were like, they all acted together for literally 40 years. They started a Royal Shakespeare Company together and like did all these like edgy art films in the 60s and all that stuff. And now they're all these like posh, you know, formal British dames. And then the the woman who plays uh, Professor Sprout is just this like swears and is vulgar and she's like oh i'm on the graham norton show i don't care i'm gonna talk about really explicit shit and then in, yeah. in tea with the dames are like oh yes uh margaret Joan? Is always is it, isn't it dame dame joan something oh yeah joan is one of them um she was in uh uh cold mountain she played the goat woman for all of you who have seen Cold Mountain. I used to watch that movie a lot on road trips. I that movie came out in 2003. Are you going to fact check yourself? I'm fact checking it right now. Uh, this is what we've been reduced to. Oh my God, it came out in 2003. God, I'm good. God, I'm good. <laughs> on that note, call it there. I've got, I'm three for three today. Like, yes. Uh, on that note. More on this because we will share you later. Thank you for playing Arcade Audio. Play more at arcadeaudio.net.